This is Mike Muth of Going Global International Interviews. We're speaking with Doug Cogswell, President and CEO of Advisor Solutions, A-D-V-I-Z-O-R Solutions.com. Uh, we're talking to him today about uh, their international expansion. If you would like to see an edited transcript of this interview, you can find them at either intlalliances.com or midwestbusiness.com. We might as well jump into it. Okay. Um, first of all, historically, you did point out of loosening technologies in Bell Labs that made any advantages for you as advisor solutions. The, 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 the one thing it gives us, so with Loose now, because years have passed, but it, it, at the time, Loose was a marquee company, so it gave us name recognition and credibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still does, because when we get into a new situation with the School of our Heritage, we have 10 years of Bell Labs research. Mm-hmm. So it's the thing that comes with is that with endorsement that we're not some little soft software company with you know, crappy stuff. This is you know, well-girded technology built over a decade in one of the top research labs in the world. Mm-hmm. That's about all it is. It's, it's, it's a type of approval or endorsement. Mm-hmm. And so that's true internationally as well as domestically. Yes, Bell Labs is a worldwide recognized name. We use the Bell Labs obviously today much more than the Lucent name. Sure. For obvious reasons. Lucent, in terms of opening doors, you know, they're, they're a big technology company, they're a telecom company, so their realm of influence is really not ours. So mm-hmm. um, they didn't open doors for us, per se, and the businesses were not different. Uh, it wasn't that, that connection. Got it. Um, now moving on to Advisor Solutions products, are there any particular advantages that you've seen outside of the United States as opposed to inside the United States? In other words, my thought here is your data visualization, if you can put things in pictures, in a lot of ways that transcends language. Is that the case? Well, the, the, the problem we're solving is Business objects and information builders promote it as part of their offer. So when they do that, 
Apple National partners will be in at a U.S. show or, you know, they'll see something in one of the business objects marketing things about us, and then they'll call it over the transit approach or hear something about you know, our category and do a web search and we we do searches on uh, the, the words that matter is we either our website so we come up top of most of the web searches. So if you look at the visitation or you know analytical dashboards or executive dashboards you'll find a few of them. And then we, we screen them and if they pass a set of hurdles um, we'll Start working with them. We'll, we'll, you know, start discussing with them how to work together. Care to elaborate on any of the hurdles that they have to jump over, or rather keep that private? Well, the challenge, you know, the challenge we get a bunch of people internationally who come in and say, you know, we'll represent you, we'll make this and this and this happen, and then so we start asking some questions like, like, what's your experience in music? Well, that's not so good. I'm not a pricing cell. Nothing. Well, we will screen and we'll get very specific. We want to hear that they've actually sold one of the major brands, business objects, microstrategy, information builders, that they have an installed base of some number of accounts that we can actually reference one of those accounts and that they've got a team. And we're generally looking for 20 plus people focused on business intelligence. So, if they're at that level, um, then we'll get into, you know, technology groups things and, um, you know, eventually get, you know, towards a towards relationship. Mm-hmm. We do screen a lot of people out just by, you know, even our website now, the partner input screen asks those questions, so it asks how many people, what other products, you know, where are your customers, how many customers, and I saw that. So uh, quickly get to the bottom of that. Because we want people with an installed base or a technically strong. That's really important in national because we have a blow up in Australia. To send my team there to get a kill. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a blow up in New York so we can hop on a plane and go out there for the day. Mm-hmm. True. Now, I've gone to Australia for a day, but most people aren't going to do that. So. Well, and you know, to put out fires is not a good use of resources. Right. You can help it. Yeah. So the partners have to be strong overseas. The criteria are high. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I guess getting back to your product a little bit, yeah. have you localized your software? Our, our software is internationalized, so it's all Unicode compliant. You know the the text strings are all in resource files, so it's easy to localize. Mm-hmm. But no, our, our focus has been English language countries, and being in Chicago, New York, and London are perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're doing a bunch of work in Mexico. Our software, though, the English language is not that much English language because it pulls the stuff out of the database. So all the textures are actually going to be in the local language because we're in the databases. And then mm-hmm. to help many of you find that are in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have that much of a localization problem. We, we're doing a Japanese translation with information builders. There's a big market there, and they require Japanese. So they're, we're doing that in partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see again? One of our bigger partners, information builders. So we're doing the Japanese translation there. Uh, that's really the only one under uh, planned out right now. Okay. So not Spanish for your Mexican? Not that required. And again, uh, a lot of the stuff on our screen will be in Spanish because it's pulling from the data underneath all the labels and the strings. So we're, we have less of a language issue than some other software products we have. Um, I know financial services is one of your big verticals, and you're pulling a lot of data. So how do you account for um, foreign exchange rates, currencies, and currency? Is that a privacy question, or no, in other words, you know, if you have you know accounts in dollars and bringing in euros. You know, do you have automatic translators for that, or does everything stay in the same local currency, or...? So we, we, we're not... We're pulling the data from a database or a data sheet or something, so you import the data into the advisor, we then create a dashboard out of it, you interact with it, and then you can export the results that back to the underlying platform. So it might be you have a big local database with a bunch of tables, 
use his advisor as a dashboard, pull the data to advisor, work with a junior down and say, maybe it's, you know, you've sorted it down to men over 40 who live in Chicago who buy shoes that are black. And in effect, you can send back to the Oracle thing, and then you can do a campaign against it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're just taking the currencies, whatever where they are. We have to mostly put the labels on them, right? Like, if it's in France, we need to put euros up. If the deposit, we need the pound sign. We need to put the commas and the periods around. But the, mm-hmm. um, the, the numbers are going to be whatever the data sheet is that we need for the database. So in other words, you don't even deal with the currency translation. No. What can we see in the country? Right, right. Somebody else is doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, next question, though. How do you deal with differences in privacy, security, technological proficiency, and so on? So, yeah, we our product doesn't have security in it. We rely on the security that surrounds the database that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll, you know, we'll pass... So that's point one. Point two is we run two ways. We run on a desktop where the data comes to the desktop and is active there and gets mucked around with. And we'll run on a server. So some environments won't allow the desktop product because you can't send the data anywhere. In that case, we have the server version where the server sits with the big databases inside the protected environment and all that's coming down to the client are images. The data never leaves the server. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's actually important uh, for a number of environments. Healthcare, you know, the, the sector in the U.S. requirements of where healthcare data goes. Financial services, you can't send banking account information. It's got to stay in one place. Mm-hmm. You can send charts on it and graphs on it to the right people, but you can't actually move the data. Mm-hmm. So okay. um, we operate different, deploy different ways depending on the environment and then the security the surrounding security. So to get at the data, you've got to go through whatever the security of the banking system is. I and mean, our stuff is just derivative of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, it looks like, well, I mean, Mexico isn't that well developed, but and do you have any technical proficiency problems in Mexico, you know, either connectivity or networks or anything like that? No, so Mexico, we're working with uh, our partners, the number one business objects distributor reseller in actually Latin America. Mm-hmm. So you know, they're very sophisticated, and um, they're selling our you know, software along with other mainstream products. Mm-hmm. That's why when we pick the international partners, we have to be careful so we don't get into some crazy environment and unsupported platforms and so forth. Mm-hmm. But if you if you pick the quality partners who are dealing with the right foundation underneath, you get around a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Hilda Brando is our Mexican partner, and they're just the top quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, you know, we, just, we had some big wins down there with the Mexican Social Security Department, uh, one of the big banks. You know, it's just we're they're the major players, and that's a, that's a it's a very diverse economy. But the top end has got a lot of you know, major class companies that are very very organized, you know, very sophisticated in the use of IT. So at that level, is not an issue. Good. Um, moving right along, are your revenue streams any different internationally than they are in the States? Um, we don't have numbers, but you know, maybe percentages or different. In the U.S., we still tend to sell more direct um, because mm-hmm. the partners are less mature. So in the U.S., we see more services. Our, our people in for training and consulting, mm-hmm. uh, whereas internationally, the partners, because they're more sufficient at doing that after being trained by us, so it's more internationally just software sales, whereas U.S. is more a combination of software and services. Mm-hmm. Okay. We look at the U.S. We're trying to be a leveraged software company, so we'd like the U.S. to be more like the international market. Uh, it's not there yet. The way the, the partners are just, as I said, they're getting different here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's interesting that, I mean, in a sense, you're trying to get your U.S. guys to learn from your international guys. Well, or in the center, if they keep moving and get on board, they'll be huge. I mean, they'll be completely self-service. They'll, we'll sell them technology. They'll do everything. You know, maybe it's an initial training, but mm-hmm. it's the region. Most of our business stays the regional solution partners, which are you know, 30, 50 person business intelligence, you know, focused in Chicago, focused in the New York metro, focused on you know, uh, New Jersey or, or Mid Atlantic, mm-hmm. uh, etc. At a different level. So sure. the comments before wouldn't apply to them or the way consulting or those guys. Yeah. Sure. The bigger ones take longer to bring on, so they're not yet moving yet. You, you know, 
the bigger part is just take a while to develop. Well, now, with the big guys, like Accenture or Deloitte, are they going to be able to take you cross-border as well? And if yeah. so, will there be any conflict or competition? No, there's not, we, we don't do exclusive arrangements. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, will, we will grant people what we would call market restriction, where if somebody, you know, invest in a, in a market that, Another one. Well, that's more of a nation. Okay. Pick, pick up Japan. You know, Japan is a market where, you know, if somebody's going to invest and build that market for us, we might grant them an exclusivity period, and then they might retain it if they get the performance target. So there could be situations like that. Or we actually have a situation in Taiwan where somebody's doing network security fraud, and they've invested it up front, so they've got a restriction from us for some period. Mm -hmm. um, but those are more special cases. Most of our relationships are open, and we were, you know, we often get asked, you know, in the UK, can we be an exclusive partner? And the answer is no. It's a mainstream market. You know, you're not. It's a huge market. No. And the answer to that is no. You can pay us a lot of money and maybe buy us off an app, but you know, in general business terms, no. We can't. Otherwise, we, you know, if Central comes along, what are we going to say? You can sell in this country, in this country, but not that country, in that country, and it doesn't work. Okay. We end up paying cost. Gotcha. Actually is, is it, a lot of the international partners will ask the vendor for exclusivity, especially if they're a smaller vendor. And uh, I, I would say that it has to be dealt with really carefully. And again, the only time we've done it is, is if somebody's going to invest, say they're going to put some people on and invest a couple hundred thousand U.S. dollars in building a market. Well, then I grant them exclusivity for a period of time, and then they could keep it if they hit some performance targets. That would be the one exception. Mm -hmm. But then they're helping me build a market, and it's not it's not the UK. It's some some other mm -hmm. market that's less mainstream. Sure. And I know that I've seen I've seen disaster cases where you know US smaller companies kind of these exclusive partners in some countries, and they're like nailed. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, I've seen it before too, and and I think sometimes people get greedy and kind of unrealistic about what their partner can do. You can't always believe the claims that some people bring to you. Right. In my view, um, I have a very good partner in UK right now. You know, they've asked about exclusivity, and I said, no, it's because you know, if you guys keep doing well, you'll get most of our attention, so you have a de facto exclusivity, because we're, we're smart, and we're going to work with the people who are succeeding. Well, you know, we don't want 60 partners, we want a couple of effective partners. Mm -hmm. Just like this work together, we go get some results, and let's get this discussion off the table. How I answer those. Sure. Okay. Um, moving right along, I saw that you had protected your software patents and so on. Are they worldwide, U.S., any particular markets? So we have two kinds of patents. We, we have patents that we own outright, which are all mm -hmm. just U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have a bunch of patents that were, um, when we spun from the labs, uh, we, we inherited or acquired. Mm -hmm. Uh, those have been in multiple countries, just because Bell Labs is in multiple countries. We're now mostly just not renewing the international parts of these things. It's too hard to prosecute. You know, the competition isn't in those countries, and we're, the patents have some value, but they're hard to defend. It's just it's too much. So we're actually uh, retrenching back to our focus on uh, the patents in the U.S. and not having them in the U.K., France, Japan, all of those countries. So in other words, your confidence in the business outweighs the cost outlay of defending stuff in other places. Right. Because we've had maintenance payments that have to be made, you know, on a continual basis to keep them. So even though we have them, it's we deemed it's not worth the maintenance value to keep supporting them in all these countries. So many software is updated much more often than patents last, right. and you've got to renew those. We're a U.S. company, so most of our competition is U.S., so if there's a violation, we'll be challenged here. Um, now, I know you developed the visual insight. Are there any of those partners that carry over to ASI? Uh, actually, one. Uh, so, yes, the visual insight actually was the same company. Visual insights was... Uh, an effort to build a web, to use the advantage of technology to build an application aimed at web-based marketing analysis. Mm -hmm. The market collapsed um, 
who kind of mocked our visual insights and rebranded the advisor technology under advisor, recapped the whole thing, and here we are. Uh, because the focus of visual insights was web-based marketing, which was narrow, most of those partners also crashed or changed. Uh, some of them carried over, two of them carried over to advisor solutions, Accenture, which actually I think loves the book we have now much better than the narrow focus we had. That's actually a better partner for Accenture now. Mm-hmm. And our UK partner was working with us in web analytics and kind of moved with us to this you know, broader-based dashboard positioning. Mm-hmm. And it's been very effective. And your UK partner, I didn't see them on your website. Yeah, they're a few matrix. Uh, uh-huh. Okay, I saw them in France. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Little, I think I gotta check my map, but it should be in the UK. I think you've got a small Europe map, yeah. and so it's all the it's to together a little bit. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, those guys moved over, I uh, think, a little bit since the visual insight days. All the other partners we, we built in the last year uh, with the new position. Okay. And again, you know, to building relationships. You know, we talked about Accenture. You have a VIA business society, any of those guys taking you to any of their international customers or other partners? Has that been a valid or, yeah. or a good strategy for you? But those guys, the OEMs that you've listed here, they're almost a little line. A of business objects, IBM information builders, and telepathics I2. Uh, actually, Northrop Grumman are OEMs, so they have, but we're not, they're just basically selling our technology hands off from us, so they're all examples of technology relationships where we invested a lot in the beginning of integrating products and training them, and then they're pretty much self-sufficient. I mean, we get royalty reports at the end of each quarter from them, mm-hmm. but we're not involved in the sales. We have, you know, periodic, or once a quarter, steering committee meetings with them where we sit down and discuss what's working, what's not, but they're just selling. Um, we get a okay. report at the end of the quarter and a check. Do they have you? Yeah, exactly. good deals. Okay. The, 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 uh, what in customers buy is the uh, so yeah it's the, and the 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 solution partners tend to be regional so it's like eMatrix is the UK you know Sapphire is New York area uh, you know people in New Zealand so they're generally not crossing borders they're, they're, they've got a metro area or something like that focus and these bigger OEMs that are clearly global and. Uh, they just, they just, we don't even, we just could be listening, so. So in other words, your product could be sold a lot more internationally through some of these folks. Right. And and it really doesn't concern you, you don't know, it doesn't matter. Right. And basically, it's just loyalty checks. Right. It's fine. You know, most of those work is, a, you know, there's a concept of a composite product. Our stuff's bundling their thing, and there's something, all you put on the composite product, we get a percentage of their sales of it. And they just, you know, own it all and all that, but, you know, they basically send us a report, and we sure we get the check, and we go, cool. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, exactly. Good shake. There you go. Um, I saw that it appears you have some investors who have international interest as well, maybe in Amber. Definitely. Uh, immigrant capital is in Europe. Both international is actually a combination of the Saudi investment bank and a, and a UK bank, Gulf Bank. So they're actually UK and Saudi based. Um, so it's Amaro, Gulf. Uh, and we actually are probably invested by the industrial bank of Kuwait, so the Kuwaiti bank as well. Um, has that helped you at all? Actually, no. We've tried to get them to help us, but um, look, the investors are U.S.-based venture capital parts of these bigger banks, and they, I think, are separate enough. They've not had the leverage back into the headquarters in the European connections. Mm-hmm. They're more like U.S. venture capital firms than big European banks. Mm-hmm. Which I wish they looked more like big European banks with interruptions, but it's not in that way. Mm-hmm. BP highlighted on your website. Yeah. Is that relationship with them after they came here or before they took over on the It was before. And BP was looking for, uh, their R&D group in London was looking for data visualization technology. There's a guy who believed that um, his management team could better understand what was going on by seeing data visually. And so we approached uh, actually did a competitive analysis. I uh, found out that it was like two or three years ago. And 
put it into an HR application model. If you can picture this, if you look at these things we call ties, which are in like six locations, you're like, I'm that theater. So you walk into this mechanical house in London, it's like a theater, you sit down in chairs, it's a big IMAX screen, you've got the HR data projected on the process IMAX screen with our technology. So you've got a dashboard of graphics completely interactive, so the manager comes in, and says, well, I want to see, you know, high-risk employees in this group, or I want to see, you know, do I have enough skills in this oil field exploration versus potential demand? And a couple of clicks to graph change, and there's the answer. They go like, wow. So then they say, now let's do this in finance, and let's do this in planning, and let's try this in uh, oil distribution, let's do this in natural gas uh, supply management, let's do this in oil field exploration, and pretty soon, we moved from the London headquarters prototype in HR out to clusters uh, of operations in uh, UK, US, Houston, uh, Naperville, um, and then uh, oil field. Uh, uh, and it actually was ironic at one point we were talking about having a meeting with their people in the US. Like, well, where are they? Well, they're in Naperville. Well, we were in Naperville. We're in Naperville. 263 shooting a low in 263s. What for? They were right above us. Whoa. We talked to one of these guys in London about a meeting with the people in the U.S. and they're up the elevator. Oh, jeez. Oh, you didn't the elevator. You won't. Oh, you bang on our room. Exactly. So that was actually a neat example of, um, you know, somebody looking for something found us and it spread just, you know, we are in their biggest customer today. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're now looking at, so they've had clusters uh, of like eight and ten analysts in probably eight or ten locations using our product. We're now looking at deploying it out over a server to their management team. So they actually have it as a regular management tool. So that's the next step with BP. Do you care to say how many revenues or how much in revenues you get out of BP or would you rather keep that quiet? Up to you. I mean, it's simply they're their biggest customer. That's okay. Yeah, well, what I can say is our biggest customers are six-figure revenues to us. Okay. So I don't attribute directly to PP, but if they're our biggest customer, our biggest customers are six-figure revenues. You can sort of put the two together. Okay. Um, also, Winter Tour is mm -hmm. featured in your website. From Switzerland, they have to deal in three languages. I mean, we talked about language a little bit. Yeah. Any issues with that at all? Again, no, because uh, they're working with insurance claims data, and uh, the stuff that's coming up in the graphics is pulling from their own data tables in the language. So, Sucklewolf is the, you have these graphs and the labels and all the markers on them are pulled from the data underneath. So, whatever it is, it's going to pull up. Uh, so, you know, even if it's, if it's in Hebrew, it's going to pull it up and put the Hebrew characters up. Uh, you know, if it's in Spanish, we'll pull Spanish up in this. Okay, we have an advantage in terms of you know, the only thing that ends up in English are the icons and all the help menus, not in the menus, and it's not the actual graphics. Mm -hmm. Got it. We have an, our, we have another large European customer, uh, AstraZeneca, the, the pharmaceutical company, is becoming uh, our biggest account uh, worldwide. There's a battle between them and BP. And they, they were uh, actually the, the Boston research team, some of our software a couple of years ago, uh, where they do molecular design for the new drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in parallel, our UK partner uh, had relationships with the headquarters of the group in Europe. And uh, we did a prototype, and now we're involved in this, this is case studies coming in, so I can talk a little bit about this. Uh, they're using our technology to manage the the research, development, and clinical trial process of their drugs. Uh, that's a large, complex problem where you try to track you know, these drugs across like 35 steps of this complicated process and see best practices, and it doesn't fit into data sheets and tables, so we're really good for that. And it was really two things happening. You know, we got into the UK through the partner, we had the, uh, the advocate in Boston. And then, uh, coincidentally, the management of AstraZeneca was down in London uh, at British Petroleum at a technology showcase where they were showing our technology use for BP right before while they were considering our stuff for themselves. It's like the absolute mm -hmm. best sales tool. Where mm -hmm. one major UK company goes to another UK company and understands the what they were going to see, see our technology in use. They're so like, yeah, that's cool. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of a random alignment of the stars or right. something it sounds like. But that's again international, so we're focused, we'd rather penetrate London. 
and have a little bit in London, a little bit in Belgium, a little bit in Germany, a little bit in, in, in France, because what starts happening is the stuff starts collecting. Mm-hmm. You know, we in part got AstraZeneca because they saw the strong advocacy of British Petroleum. Sure. And was, what do you say? It's like obviously we 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 were active in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a whole bunch of credibility questions. Sure. And now you start building a you know a network over there. The fact that we can claim both BP and AstraZeneca in the UK makes it easier to go to the other farmers, the other petrochemicals, the financial services where we're now credible in that market. Technologically, do you see a lot of difference between the UK, France, Germany, Scandinavia? No. They're all equally sophisticated. Um, they have the same exact problems where they're drowning in data and trying to figure out how to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. You know, bar charts and data sheets don't do it all the time. Okay. I'm just curious. Well, it's an issue that we're gaining ourselves because it's an issue of focus. So, even in the U.S., we focus in Chicago, New York, not Atlanta, Dallas, you know, San Francisco. You know, we'll do something in Los Angeles, but it better be Wall Street because I don't want to. I want to get the model working and get these because these metro areas like build on each other. Sure. But having something in Los Angeles isn't as good as having AstraZeneca walking BP in London. Never well, AstraZeneca. It's, just, it's interesting because internationally, um, you know, I've got a fair amount of data up on my website on a country by country basis. But in some ways, that's not nearly as valid as the metropolitan concentrations of big cities. For example, if you look at DSL penetration worldwide, South Korea blows away a lot of the rest of the world. And part of the reason for that is Seoul comprises a lot of the population of South Korea, and they've got a lot of DSL penetration in Seoul. And so, you know, I need to redo a little bit of that. And that's actually one of the you know, people who poo Mexico. Mexico is a very large country. And it's actually fairly easy because it's almost the entire economy is in Mexico City. It's in one metro area. So you can go to Mexico City and it's a city and it's like you can everything's there. It's just, you know, Germany's a hard country. It's a big economy, but it's scattered all over the place. There's no one central point. It's in Cologne, Hamburg, Munich, uh, Stuttgart, you know, uh, Berlin, you know, uh, go down the line. Mexico, it's Mexico. The UK tends to be less, it's mostly London, it's some Manchester, some Birmingham, but it's, it's, a, it's a very big economy and it's like one big metro area, it's got most of it. So as people think about these things, you know, people get scattered to Europe. Well, it's like, don't do Europe. Do, do, like, pick something, like London, or pick the Paris metro area. You know, Paris is some other anomalies that make it a little harder for English people to do business with, so I'd pick London first. Sure. But uh, my view of the international thinking is metro area thinking. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, London's no different than New York. It's, they speak a language, it's easy to get to, you know, it's easy to navigate. Uh, they drive on the wrong side of the road, but, you know, you get used to that. Through Mexico, you get sick most of the time you go there, but <laughs> you can get the pools down there. I know. I always make the mistake. I'm in a meeting, and I'm like, again, I'm in Mexico, I drink water, and the next day I'm, I don't know. But you know where you are. But that's, you know, it's an easy question in Chicago. True. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been to look at the international. I've been, I, I see the, the world, I don't like country borders a lot. I see, there's just markets, and I see metro areas. Um, and so I'm very metro area focused. You know, I, we're business, we had a nice business going in Tokyo. Yeah, we're a good partner over there, but... That's another, that market's a little hurting now, but that's a, another easy country because the whole thing is sort of Sure. There's cultural differences there. It's a little bit harder to get at than Mexico City or London, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess getting back to some of the questions that I mm-hmm. originally put. We've already talked a little bit. Okay. I guess could we get into detail yeah. on how you formed the relationship with each of these partners of yours? Yeah. So Eagle Museum is not one of our target markets, obviously. You want to pick a faraway place that fits, for example, from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Eagle is, is the number one business objects partner in uh, Australia, in the South Pacific region down there. And we saw it at a business object show about a year ago in the U.S. And it approached us. And uh, we've seen him, we had a lot of phone conversations, and uh, we finally, uh, they wanted to sell a product, and they thought it was a very nice add-on to the business objects line, 
Nice believed they were capable of selling it, so we signed an agreement with them six months later. So, so they probably heard us uh, like May of 2003. And there were a lot of phone discussions and documents sent back and forth and uh, uh, webinars. So we had, you know, we showed technology. We did some concepts, some rough training over the web. And then probably six months later in December, we signed a reseller agreement. And part of that reseller agreement was an upfront payment to fund uh, one of our people going down there for a week. So then in February, after they signed up, we screened, you know, they paid us, we sent a guy down there for a week to go out and count calls with them, uh, to do sales and technical trading. And that was, you know, four key services plus they covered TNA. And up to this point, we're convinced they're committed. Uh, they've shown us through the payment of money. So then we'll put a resource on them and send somebody down there. And then since then, you know, we have uh, constant phone dialogue back and forth, you know, there's technical support on our side over the phone. If we need to send somebody down there, we will, but it's going to be on a full-fee basis on behalf of a customer. Mm-hmm. At this point, you know, it is pretty self-sufficient. They get it, uh, they can solution sell, they can, you know, design, they can implement, and they can support the customers. Mm-hmm. Oh, even talking on the phone. I mean, that's got to be at night, our time? Yeah, the time is all messed up. They're like <laughs> 15 or 17 hours ahead, yeah. so... You know, when you say you want the PO in by the end of the quarter, you get a real quarter ends before our quarter ends. And, well, exactly. Uh, I, mean, so. because, I mean, there's a position where I was doing international business development, so in the morning I'd be calling Europe, in the afternoon Latin America, by the evening I'd get around to, you know, Japan and Australia, and at night I was calling India. Yeah. So, you know, from... 7 or 8 in the morning all the way to 11 at night. I was just kind of following the sun around the world. Yeah, that's why, you know, we wouldn't have picked that as the way to go. But, you know, these guys pop up there. They're selling. They're ready to sell. They're skilled. What am I going to say? No to them. And they're going to put money up front. You know, so we try to force the qualification. And the ultimate is before we send somebody, they put money up. Sure. We just had the same thing in Taiwan. There's a partner announced it. ISS. They're a company in Taiwan that does network security and intrusion work. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. They called us in the, you know, the summer. You know, Linda, who's our telescope person, said, here's the screening question. So keep, boom, half, you know, half of them, they get the details. And they kept passing the screens. Finally, we said, okay, the next step is you get to sign this retail agreement and pay, you know, some amount of money. And, you know, generally, we talk ten to $20,000 upfront payment. And then we'll send somebody over. So, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago, they signed the agreement, committed. So now we've got uh, uh, one of our trainers going over there and we to the Taiwan for a week. It's wow. very soon illegal. Mm-hmm. But again, they found us, they were looking for data visualization, uh, which is a perfect thing. They found us on the website. Uh-huh. But again, that, you know, we, we were pretty hard on the screen because we don't want to go there, right? So our mindset is we're going to ask a lot of tough questions and they just keep passing, we'll keep on the next step. But if you don't pass the step, you know, forget it. We're just not going to do this casually. So part of the screening process, is there a revenue goal, expectation, return? We're expecting to see $50,000 a quarter, $50,000 a quarter from these partners we sign up. And it's in the contract. It's not a legally binding commitment. You can't. It is like unfair. But but it clearly says that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. And so we don't see, and they don't think they can get there. It's like this for cases. It's not worth it, especially internationally. We're going to do this for $2,000 a quarter. It's a joke. I mean, have there been any partners that haven't met that and you've had a break relationship? No, remember, we've only been at this a year. So we've got, you know, the guys in the UK, the guys in Mexico, we've got several that are over the hurdle, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly, the now it's not an unreasonable number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the price point for your software, typically? Uh, we generally still on stages, so an end account will typically have a starter deal of maybe a proof of concept for ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and then they'll buy maybe a package from ten analysts that's twenty thousand dollars, and then if they buy a server design for a couple hundred people, so it's fifty or sixty thousand dollars. So you know, summarize, you probably get a ten, fifteen thousand dollar sale followed by a twenty, twenty-five thousand dollar sale followed by a fifty, sixty thousand dollar sale with some services. The whole thing's a hundred and something thousand broken into. Pieces. Some are smaller, some are bigger, but that's probably average. 
Okay. And Phil said that it goes from start to finish is six to eight months. So, you know, you do in the first piece, I think, for a month or two, you get the next piece, you know, three or four months in, you get the last piece six, eight months in. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a departmental thing, maybe you just did, you know, sales and marketing, now you've got finance. So you've got, if you're in the company, you're making three pieces like CT, you've got multiple functional areas. So it's attractive to them. And if it's into their small basis, at night, we call it a six-figure add-on. It adds value to the account, clears up the mystery of this data, and it should be done fairly quickly. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's, we're, that's sort of our process. The others, the matrix, we've already talked about it a little bit. David, um, you said that they had started with visual insights or even prior to that. How did it start? It's the beginning. It's Genesis. I don't know how we started way back at the beginning. I wasn't involved in that at the beginning. Um, it was somewhat of a difficult transition, you know, where they were still thinking we were going along, and we just basically made a return on them. So we went through a period of friction. Mm-hmm. They had to adjust their practice because we basically made a hard right on them. But you know, they stayed with us, and they're doing great. Okay. And how about Mexico? Mexico it was like the one in uh, uh, New Zealand. They saw us at a business object conference about it. They basically parallel the New Zealand one. They're a little further ahead of us. They're a bigger market. So uh, Jose Brando is, is just like people, except they're in a bigger market and the sales results have been better so far. Got it. And it's easier to go. Mexico is easy. You, know, you can do a day, a day trip to Mexico City for me. It's a four and a half hour flight. You're in the same time zone. That, that's not a hard one. You know, same time zone, four and a half hour flight. That's a lot easier than New Zealand where you're like 17 hours off and it's like a flight possible. It's like two days to get there. Yeah, it's terrible. You're so far ahead. It's terrible. Um, the Spanish doesn't give you any difficulties in Spanish? Not one bit. There's not been one issue on Spanish so far. But you're also dealing with, you know, these bigger companies, especially if you're in the management team, they all speak English well. Mm-hmm. At that level, and even the users don't have a difficulty having We're going out to managers, so we're not going to, like, clerks. We're going to analysts and, and managers and people trying to make decisions. Almost all of them speak English. And reasonably fluent English. And again, most of the stuff on the screen is in Spanish anyway, because it's the underlying data. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 uh, the peso symbol comes up, the things the right way. Most of the screen looks native language for them. Really? Yeah. Um, AV Labs, is that in Switzerland? Yeah, that's in Switzerland. Uh, that's actually the chief scientist of a Boston-based company, Torrent Systems. So we were working with way back in the set off and go back. Uh, this is Switzerland. Uh, this is Swiss. And uh, I just stayed with us all the way along. He's a little different because he's more of an individual contributor. Smart guy, gets it. He's got a few sales, so he's not our normal kind of partner. Uh-huh. Okay. He's a little different. Gotcha. Well, so he's just an individual as opposed to a company. Yeah. He has Is generating the same revenues as somebody in the UK. 
because remember, in New Zealand, you know, they, they pretty much dominate the New Zealand and Australia business market market. So mm -hmm. there, there's a big fish in a smaller pond, where in the UK you've got a lot more competition, so we make it to the smaller fish in a bigger pond. Mm -hmm. And ultimately in the UK, we probably need a couple more partners. Watch where you say that, but I've, I've told them I'm, I won't bring another mm -hmm. partner on unless I discuss with them, but I'm not going to surprise them with another partner. But the UK sure. needs a couple partners to cover. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a fact. It's a little uh, 100 million population country with a diverse economy, one partner can't cover loads. New Zealand, Australia, it's just not that big. One partner can actually cover a lot of it. So, well, it's just, I think that's instructive, you know, to not ignore smaller opportunities because they can be big opportunities. Right, too. right. Right. We would never, and again, like New Zealand, I was beginning, what is this, the craziest thing in New Zealand? And I think our stop was like, oh, forget it. Then I kept hearing more and going, oh, this actually sounds kind of good. And um, it's been a very good part of it. And there, you know, there, again, the relationship is easy because there's are more self-starters, they're more used to working by themselves, so they're not putting the drain on us with some of the U.S. partners. It's actually been, these three partners have all been pretty easy to work with. They have their, you know, their personality differences, you know, I guess, some countries tend to like to negotiate a lot more for everything, including when they're going to pay, you know, you get the check in, it's like nothing moving from it. It's like, oh, I thought you guys paid the sales tax. Oh, no, 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 you cover the sales tax. Okay, well, I thought this didn't include this, but well, the internet said this, well, you pay it short. Oh, it's like, you know, see, the other thing's going on. Yeah. Countries, different cultures are different, but we, uh, we laugh about that. We eventually get the money. And we get all the money. They, you know, they're all... How much half you have to do to get paid versus the check just comes in. The guys when you pay the check comes when they boom there's money in the bank. You know, one of these other countries it's like you've got a hassle because they're always on the edge negotiating the next angle. Wow. So I mean, they wouldn't have thought for someone like Kiwis to be like that. Well, you know, those guys aren't the the, the uh, Mexican ones. Ah, uh, well oh, that's very sweet. And so you get in it's they're all different personalities. And it's cultural. Sure. Um, hmm. are small of these guys essentially bars or resellers for you? Yeah. Yeah, I call them all bars. Okay. Um, and did any of these guys find you filling out your online form? I mean, we mentioned the screening process and so on. Have you found anybody who's come to your website so up the form? We just beat up the form like last week, so. Okay. Uh, what we found on that form is some of the questions we've been asking. So we're trying to get the information in ahead. So the, you know, we just don't know. I mean, I'm hoping okay. we'll, people will uh, say step one. We just did literally, I don't know, it was Friday or Monday, but very recent that form went up. Okay. Yeah, so I was just wondering if you really get any credible I don't know. applicants there. We'll try them. Okay. I think most of them, when they see the form, they'll call. <laughs> so if you don't get all the questions, they just submit. What I do anyway, so these questions I don't just pull them out. I'm not going to. I just hit submit and see what happens. Well, they're interesting. Some of these guys are engineers. They may pull them all out. I mean, I guess I'm big on you know getting information written down so that people have something to work with. And you know, I'm also talking to people. Just you know, I send you these questions beforehand to give you a heads up. I mean, I think. Information's good. It's especially important with this language issues because, you know, with the Mexican group, their native language is Spanish, so we want everything in writing because subtle differences in an understanding result in a, like, we had a problem where we put a, um, we had a, we changed our process to the, the Mexican group, we had the software that we had, it was a special discount for a review. We need the special discount with all the discounts. They thought the special discount was just the discount to the customer, and then they applied a large discount on top of it. Uh -huh. Semantics, language, understanding, if you discount, they meant one thing, we meant another thing. So we had to actually lost money on the deal because we had set the expectations one way. Actually, think we split the difference, but that's where you know not being clear and writing this stuff down gets you in trouble, uh, especially with international partners, and they have different cultural, different language issues, and they may speak English, but. The words don't quite mean the same, and we use idioms that may not make sense to them. And oh, exactly. So, yeah. Well, but I mean, we can resolve moving forward, so there won't be those confusions. Right, because yeah. the main thing we have is a relationship. And all these parts, I mean, I think it's also important that you know, we have people handling these things, but I, I've met every one of them individually. 
I'm involved in all of it because partly with the international partners, they want they need to have a relationship, and that's important. It's better to give they trust. So when we there was a confusion on what the pricing was on the deal, we have a conversation, we agree to split it. It doesn't get one cent off of the other. But it could because we legitimately thought they were trying to, and some of our people thought they were trying to nail it. This is Mexico, it's another angle on the deal. It actually wasn't. They just misinterpreted what we said. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. It's split. And they agree. Yeah. Because I didn't know there's trust. Well, and it's fair. I mean, it doesn't cost them that much. It doesn't cost you that right. much. And it's a one time deal. And the relationship is more important. Right. To me, the relationship is more important than losing, you know, whatever we lost in that one deal because it was confusion. Um, just a couple of questions. I saw that you listed a number of awards on your website. Any that you won outside of the U.S. at this point, or? Uh, no. Um, actually, you're involved with Opportunity International. I get meetings from them. And do I understand correctly they are essentially a micro bank? You know, you make contributions to them and they will, um, give loans to peasant women who are making candy bags or something in the Philippines and build microbes. You got it. So, and it's a good organization. It's top notch. They're one of the biggest in that field of microfinance. And they they have uh, 500,000 clients worldwide. Oops, there are uh, 500,000 jobs, which is more jobs for somebody's kind to employ multiple people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in perspective, there's, there's 550 million uh, people, poor people. So it's a small part in the global problem, but it's one of the bigger issues. They're on a steep growth curve, and they're in uh, 28 countries, and what they they raise money in the U.S. to the U.K. to uh, fund the startup. Mm-hmm. And they work with affiliates locally. So in Honduras, for example, there's a woman who runs this Opportunity Affiliate, which has a collection of the people who do the work in Honduras. Mm-hmm. She gets funded to get started, and then she becomes self-sustaining on the, on the operations while she's up and running. And if she grows, with the group capital from the headquarters group. And the headquarters group applies processes and systems, so she's automated all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And her job is that she recruits generally loan offices where bright people out of college who want to help the jury, concerns or whatever. And then they go and they screen the pillar, mm-hmm. uh, and they these are people who you know make four to five hundred, seven hundred dollars a year in a family of five, mostly women, because they're all women. Yeah, so you've I got like eighty percent women. And then they uh, will find like ten women in a community who all have need of financing, like you just described. And they'll bring them together to a trust bank, so they all co-guarantee each other's loans. So we've now formed a working community. Mm-hmm. So first, the money. Mm-hmm. Then they second get these relationships, and third, they have weekly meetings with loan officers, which becomes a, a mechanism to train them in mm-hmm. practices, in finance, and in healthcare, and in uh, spiritual issues, uh, in leadership issues, and how to be, you know, how to raise your son so they don't have their wives in the future. I mean, those are like all the issues we're told. We're using the money as a mechanism to get training in front of these people, and then the goal is to raise these people up. Mm-hmm. And it's like literally you get these people who are a woman with kids trying to sell vegetables, but she can't buy the vegetables. If they give her a lot, she buys the vegetables, and she then becomes self-sufficient. So, I've mean, read some incredible stories in the newsletter. Yeah, and you haven't been as proactive in supporting them, but you never know about stuff you get in the mail. The repayment rate on the loans is 98%. They have a 2% default rate. Loaning money is the poorest of the poor around the world. It's unbelievable. Because these people, these people are actually motivated. They have a lot of respect. And, you know, I took my kids uh, a year ago. We went to see the operation in Honduras. We visited 12 of these little businesses. It's a good trailer. We three hours at each of the business owners. This is the least popular vacation I ever suggested. Like, we need to teach us in March. Um, my kids said my girls said they wanted to go someplace warm and said we're going to Honduras. It was the most amazing experience because we, you know, we sat down in their homes, and our homes were, you know, shacks in the woods, you know, uh, and, uh, and we felt motivated, hard working, filled with joy, 
on the edge, you can get tipped in the last year, you know, a car comes and goes to wash away, but there were actually more hurricanes a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, there were disasters and people in refugee camps for years, but these people like some organizations do them as soon as they are supposed to, and they get their business. It's like, it's so it's like amazing. So we are just grumbling about me to do TV, and they're out there like, fill the jury, and it's kind of a lot of shaft, it's like, there's a lot of opener for my kids, and you see the, you know, I think my kids thought these people were good because they were motivated, you know, they were lazy, they were on drugs or something. You go down and you find out these are like people gasping, they were at work six, they were, you know, 12 hour days, they were like amazing people. They had stories to tell, uh, but completely flipped the viewpoint in my kids about good connection, now you can work on a little this. Yeah. Well, two things. Number one, I believe Opportunity International is locally based, correct? And locally. Okay. Yeah. And number two, how did you get involved with them? Uh, 20 years ago, I was in Harvard Business School, and one of my best friends was in the Harvard Kennedy School, which is the public policy side of Harvard, and he took a job at this young organization, trying to financial finance, and his career is in there. He's built a global network of all these things. Okay. And another friend uh, was involved in this and became the board chairman, so I've kind of been involved in it, you know, for uh, years. Got it. In the 80s. And, uh, it's been cool to see the ramp up. I mean, they've taken a while to get this figured out. But now they're getting like two, three hundred thousand jobs of uh, loan clients a year, which is more than that job. And you think about impacted people is bigger than that because these people have families of six and eight, so if you get somebody off the level, you're impacting six people. And then they've been higher orders, so pretty soon and the web of people who have been impacted by a lot of these is big. Uh, I think I look at the world and I like, I like the job, but I, I, I see there's I mean, some of the big problems you've got to deal with are. Poverty and, and, and getting people working, housing, getting people in housing, and you got all the disease, AIDS stuff. Those are kind of, as I look at things, the three big problems. And this is, I don't mind investing my time in one of these problem areas. And it's making a difference. I think, I thought I was actually, it was a, a session in Chicago just last night on this with a, with a group of the Global Donors Network, which brought a bunch of these microfinance people together. The penetration is. Canada is 10 years ago, 10% of that 550 million had uh, been involved in microfinance. Now it's 12%. So we've actually increased from 2 to 12% the penetration of that 550 million people. Not people, it's workers, potential workers. So it's still a drop in the bucket, but it's a huge improvement. I mean, if you're talking about incremental 10% of however many million? 550 million. Yeah, I mean, that's so huge. Something like, you know, over 10 million to 50 million uh, total client base. Still a heavily fragmented, financial finance is heavily fragmented, but there's a few like, opportunities to kind of emerge with more scalable processes in leadership. It's tough to then they're trying to say, well, well, the other thing is to start with these loans and these coaching and these counseling, but then these people need insurance. Uh, and what if they get sick? God, there's no Medicare, Medicaid, they're like done. So we're trying to create insurance products for them, uh, personal loans, like how they get a house, and the money, and do personal loans for these people. Uh, sometimes it becomes bankable. And we, in these countries, the problem is the banking regulations prohibit you from taking savings, so where do they put the money they get? In the backyard? I mean, yeah. can you offer savings cards? But then you've got to change the government laws, which should happen in a few places, but it's like a whole systemic set of things that you look holistically at what they need. I could go on for hours in that topic, but... Well, you know, maybe we'll come back to that at another time. Because, yeah. I mean, I need to focus on the business stuff, and I really can't highlight Opportunity International here, but I saw it, and I wanted to mention it. And, you know, that's a topic for a later time. Yeah, that's something I have a lot of passion about. Yeah. And, I mean, it's great that you do. I mean, I went to the International Business School Thunderbird, and a lot of other folks who think along those lines, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a number of keywords who are involved, you know, in more the regional level, I would say. Yeah. yeah, I just think, you know, there is a... We have to deal with these problems because you can't have these societies so fragmented where you've got you know, 550 million at that level, you've got 100 million like at our level, you know, working here about workers, and you've got a bunch of people like somewhere in the middle, which are such a wide group, it's hard to 
those who are oppressed. These people can't get educated. So because they can't get educated, they're open to like crazy ideas of these manipulative revolutionary people. You can pull massive forces of these people to the viewpoint they're just fundamentally wrong and certainly the ones that are dangerous. If you can solve this problem and get these people up and get them educated and get them into more of the mainstream and break the, eliminate all this gap, then they don't need handouts. They, they, need, they need opportunities. You know, right? It's like not, you just don't, giving them money isn't the answer. It's just enabling them. And I've just come to completely see that as critical. Okay. There's a lot of different places I can go with that too, just because you know a lot of people say China is the greatest market because you know there's so many people there, but China is still impoverished. Part of the problem is they're not letting growth flow because the international go in there and create this local supply. So you know for countries that are looking to bring them in there, it's great, but there's still a lot of other regimes where you know, they want to maintain power and control. But China is a perfect example of that. Yeah. So, um, I had a couple other questions. But I think they're kind of even less important. Yeah. So this is a good one to end up on. Um, yeah. Hopefully this will work. Stay on.